So this was an interesting title. I, I, I do struggle with titles, but as a kid, there was a show called Bewitched On, and I'm pretty sure it was black and white then, um, 30-something years back. But I just remember thinking this was a weird show. This girl, this, this witch was weird. And she would, like, twinkle her nose or twinkle her nose, and her husband would just be, like, frozen in time. But it was such bad camera work. And I was like, what in the world? Like, this is just, like, horrible. But the reason I titled it Bewitched is because Paul uses this word, bewitched. And it's, that is the word. It's the word in the King James and in the New King James. And there's, there's versions that kind of take this word and they go other places with it. And not all are bad. Um, but we're going to get into that in a second. But I want to, for those of you who were not here for the first two um, chapters that we've been, and it's been over a month, Paul is writing this letter to a regional area of churches in what we would call today Central Turkey. And the issue was, number one, they were believing heresies, plural. But the biggest one was they had people coming in that were Jewish, that got saved, but telling the people, that's not enough. Jesus isn't enough. And you have to also come and fall in line with Judaism. You have to keep the festivals. You have to um, keep the law in the best way that you possibly can and circumcision and all the, the covenants from the Old Testament. And Paul's saying, first off, that's not the case. Secondly, anybody who tells you that, let them be accursed. That's pretty strong language. And so he starts off the letter trying to let them know who he is. I'm an apostle. I have authority to teach you. And he gives them his story. He also teaches them um, going into uh, chapter 3 that the, the gospel is the same in Jerusalem. It's not different up here. It's not different there, and it's not different in, uh, in, in the east. It's the same gospel. But anyone who would come to you, even if that person is an angel or says that they're sent from God and preaches another, let that person be accursed. And so and any one of these people that are coming in and taking young Christians and putting the burden of the law on them, he wants to lay it down. And he wants them to be like, when you say something like this, like, cursed be to you, Christians go, whoa, like, what's that mean? That, I, I haven't heard a Christian say that to me. That's really, really strange when you hear that. But he's saying, hey, if somebody comes in and try, tries to dilute this, and just so you know, I'm the biggest fan of Judaism there is because I was like the number one Judaism guy. I have all the background. I have all the pedigree. I know what tribe I come from. And I persecuted Christians and even led to their death. And the Lord showed me my wrong. And so I'm teaching you the gospel. These people that come in that want to kind of polish up Judaism, I know more than them. They're wrong. And the gospel is faith in Christ alone. It doesn't get added to. And so he's trying to give them all of the credentials leading up into this. This is where we start to get into the meat of Galatians. So obviously the TV show Bewitched is, people know, they, I think they made another one. They always make other ones, like they probably made one more modern. Uh, but it doesn't matter. The show was a little weird. Um, but the, this word bewitched is what we want to really kind of key in on because Paul fires it off right away. But I also want to read a definition I was always, um, the word misdirection is an interesting word. And we live in a society where words are weaponized, where there's certain words you can't even use, not even allowed to use them. At the same time, there's words in the society that are, have been completely diluted, and so they lack luster. 
But misdirection is not one I hear a lot, but I want to read you guys this definition of misdirection. The action or process of directing someone to the wrong place or in the wrong direction deliberately. This is what Satan does all day long. That's the only thing he's interested in is teaching you, you should go this direction when it's over here is where you're supposed to go. Um, another definition might be the wrong or inappropriate use or application of something. Heresy. The wrong or inappropriate use to pervert, um, to, to take something that's supposed to be used in one way and use it in another way is to misdirect. So we have this word bewitched right off the bat. He says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And I want to stop there because this is, I mean, you can do an entire teaching on this, this verse alone. There is so much here. But it's a, it's a bit of an aggressive start, wouldn't you say? Yes. To call out people, you're not there, just fire off an email. You fools, uh, you know, to a church. Like just writing to the Baptist or the Methodist or whatever. Hello, I'm an apostle. You fools. Um, may not get them to listen. I don't know. Maybe, but sometimes when, when somebody comes in this harsh, comes in this sharp, there's a real reason for it. And he's trying to get them to, you, you can, you can kind of soft sell this type of a thing, but I think in this case he needed to come at not just the church hard, but that the people that are teaching these church people would read it and, and know you guys are in huge trouble. Jesus had great, great harsh words too, for those that would teach people in his flock the wrong thing, lead astray or misdirect. But I have to tell you, that is all Satan is interested in. Deception, misdirection, keeping you in the dark, keeping you from the Lord. So like I said, it's an aggressive start. But in the Christian church, there's always been people, he uses this word bewitched, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's always been people in my experience. I've been around the church as long as I remember anything. There was this family in my growing up church that attended this Baptist church in Chicagoland that I went to. And there was this, I don't know if it was a wives' tale, but it was definitely a rumor that everybody just kept passing on. And they had, um, it was a big deal because it was a very blue-collar suburb, but they had a Porsche. Ooh, they had a Porsche 944, which is the worst one from the 80s, but it's not a 911 Turbo. But they had this Porsche, and I think they kind of were like, you know, wanting to show that they had something. And they were a really nice couple. They didn't have any children, I mean, my age, but maybe their children were grown. But it was a couple, and they bought this house, and they, they always had the garage door open. And someone told me the reason they had that was to let the evil spirits out. And I thought, huh. I'm seven, and I've heard a lot of preaching, and I just don't know. That doesn't go down very well with me. They go to our church. They're members of our church, but that's to, like, like remember when, like, the exorcisms would go on? Like, Salem witch, like, you, you drill a hole. Like, literally, people that practice psychology or exorcism or whatever would drill holes in people's heads to do the same thing. It's like shaking up a pop. And like, well, we got to twist the cap. There's pressure. That's how you get it out? You just leave the garage door open? It was whack, okay? It was whack. Even I was like, you got to be kidding me. Didn't we just 
hear a, a sermon about he who's in us is greater than he that's in the world or he that's in your garage? Like, honestly, this was, this was just weird to me. But he uses the word to check them because they, this part of the world, as I would tell you Africa, I would tell you the Caribbean, they have a very, very different feel for what you would call witches, what you would call evil spirits, demonic possession. I have not seen, I grew up in a, uh, when I got into junior high, we moved to, a, to Wheaton, which is like the theological, Billy Graham went to college there. It's just huge, it's like church town, like everybody goes to church and it's, it's all wealthier folks. And, and so they're all, they're all um, more white collar, if you will, a lot of bankers, a lot of lawyers. And so I asked this, this kid in my youth group whose dad was a pastor, but he was born in like Columbia or something. I asked him, I said, why is it that when I read these certain things like Simon the Warlock in Acts, a warlock? What's a warlock? He's like, well, it's a magician or a, um, a male witch or whatever. I'm like, who says the word warlock? It's a weird word. He's like, well, he goes, in America, we're a lot more sanitized. And so Satan uses our distractions. He uses our pride. He uses our head more than he uses in these places where the folks don't have uh, a, a seminary like they, as often as a Circle K where I'm at. Like there's a seminary on every corner where I'm from. So you learn all these things and you become so enriched with knowledge and so smart and you don't need anything. But when we went to Cuba... 20-something years ago, the first place I went, there's a demonic possession. There's a woman that comes in and tries to kill this woman and throw a vase at her head right in front of me. And I'm like, what's going on there? And my pastor who was with me was raised in Africa. He goes, she's demon-possessed. He acted like, so? Of course she is. It's Cuba. I was like, uh, what's Cuba? Like, I don't, is that how things are down here? He's like, have you ever been in New Orleans? They're like that in New Orleans. There's just different places where Satan uses different misdirection, different deceptions, different things to keep people's minds occupied or keep them scared or keep them in the dark or keep them shackled. Not this, this you know, America now, like where it's like, well, we're just so distracted. Nobody thinks that they have any, there's no, there's no urgency to come to Christ. Oh, well, I have so much going on. I'll get to it. You'll get to it. When? Do you know how much time you have left? So that's what he's trying to check these people. This was way more of a thing. The sorcery and the witchcraft and the, the black arts, if you will. That does go on in New Orleans a lot. They, they literally have to disclose haunted houses in New Orleans. That has to be disclosed on a contract. I laughed in real estate school about that. That's true. It's, it's, an action. it's a fact. I go, okay, it's, that's whack. But to go back to this, this definition of bewitched, it's the idea that someone has cast a spell over you. The idea that someone has cast a spell over a person. And he's trying to get these believers to understand something very wrong has happened in your church. And you guys need to look at it like you're, like you're under a spell. And to get back to that person that had the garage and they were letting the evil spirits out. For a while I was like, well, maybe, I mean, I'm seven like, maybe we can be demon-possessed. That's what Satan wants you to think. Oh, yeah, get scared. Get really, really scared. And then I, I met some kids that propagated this and that kept on some, some kids from uh, my neighborhood that were like, oh, yeah, wicked spirits and all this other, and, and horror movies and all these other things. 
I'm telling you, you can misdirect people very, very easily if they're not in the Word. These folks didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a Bible reading thing in their phone, in their ear all night long. They didn't have a lot of the resources you and I have. So he's saying there's one gospel, there's one road to heaven, and you guys are bailing out. Who bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? You're not obeying the truth. Well, I thought we had the truth and this. That's not the truth. The truth stands alone. The truth of the gospel stands alone. It is one sentence. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. That's the gospel. Through him, we have freedom. Through him, we can come to God. We're allowed to approach God. We're allowed to talk to God. What does Satan want? He wants you as far away from God as possible. He wants you thinking you're too far gone. You're too messed up in sin. You're too jacked up. You can't come. Jesus Christ crucified is the gospel. They were given by Paul, and some were believing that they had to keep the law, and he's attributing it to being cast a spell upon. I mean, it's, it's like Judaism, Christianity, going back. A witch came to you guys, basically. Ooh, that's scary. Verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by, hearing of, or by the hearing of faith? How did you guys get saved? Galatians, how did you get saved? When we came to your church, when people have taught you and you came to Christ, did we say all the things and then read you the law? Or did we say, come to Christ, repent of your sins, and, and you, God will come and dwell in you. The Spirit of God will come dwell in you. He baptizes you. That's how you came to Christ. It's often to go back to the beginning, where you started with Christ, where you started as a person. Oftentimes, when you watch a documentary of a, of a, a celebrity or a whatever, whoever, what you get is you get a snippet of this last part of their life, and then it goes back to the house they grew up in and where they went to school. And you get this context. And for us, Sometimes we're so lost and drifting and, and spinning and freaked out that we just need to go back to the beginning and just go read the gospel again. Read the book of John. Read the book of Luke. Whatever. Whatever you want to read in the gospels, go back to it and read what Jesus said. How does somebody come to me? They come to me in faith. You guys are bailing out. When you came to Christ, did you do it by your works? Did anybody say, you guys are good enough? You guys are pretty good little Turks. Whatever, Galatians. No, they gave you the gospel. They gave you the, the Holy Spirit baptizing you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and you guys are bailing out. You guys are going to another gospel. Warning, let you be accursed if you believe that, if you teach that. Warning. People are very good at arguing. People are very good these days at arguing. But sometimes they're good at arguing and answering questions without actually answering the question. If you, if you ask a politician a question under oath and you ask them a direct, do you believe this, yes or no, they go, well, let me answer that by asking you this. Is it possible for you to say yes or no? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Let me answer that by asking you this. And they just keep, they filibuster or they just, they will not answer the question. It, it drives me nuts that they can't. People with power cannot just be nailed down to a question anymore. 
But if he were to ask these folks, guys, did you, when you came to Christ, just tell me, was it works? Yes or no. Was it spirit of God? Yes or no. Because I think they could answer that question, even though they were very misdirected. He says in verse 3 and 4, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now, there's a lot in that, but um, just to condense it, they did suffer persecution. When they came to Christ, they were persecuted. And so, as they came to Christ and they were persecuted, some... Um, would have lost jobs, some would have been beaten, some would have been um, even maybe worse in some, it, with some of these Jewish people, with some of these worldly people around them. And so he says, did you suffer in vain? Because right now you're not even in the gospel. You're not even in the faith right now. You're, you're in something else. But one of the most convicting books in the Bible is James. I said that before. James says, where do wars and fights come where do they come from? Do they come from outside or do they come from our desires and our wants or our lusts? Ultimately, out of our pride. Paul is saying, how can you be so foolish if you started out in God and right now you're acting like you're being perfected by these works? You're acting like being coming back to Judaism with some of you guys never even grew up in. You're not even really Jewish people. You're converting. How could you possibly think that that is what's going to save you without the Spirit of God? So there was persecution, and they did start out this way. And so he's saying, if you suffered and you moved away from the faith, you're an apostate. It, like, if you walk away completely, you suffered in vain. Those first few years of persecution, did you suffer in vain? If indeed it was vain? Verse 5 through 7, he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Sometimes Jesus would get into it with these Pharisees and religious elite in Jerusalem, and they would say, well, well, you're, you have a demon, or you are of the devil, and we are sons of Abraham. We are children of Mo Moses. And he's like, if you guys even knew who those guys were talking to, then you'd know who's talking to you right now. So Abraham's justification. How was Abraham justified? Abraham was pre-law. Abraham was, was pre-Judaism. Was pre, um, he believed God. What did he believe? Well, he believed a lot of things. But at 75 years of age, and his wife being way past childbearing uh, years herself, there was no hope to have an heir. And Abraham not only had wealth, his name means father of many. And that was not a culture that was afraid of having 10, 15, 20 children. But he can't have a kid. And it's long overdue. Th those days are behind and God said, no, you're going to, I'm going to give you a son and you're going to have an heir. Abraham had asked him for that. He said, you're going to have an heir of your own seed. And through that seed, through you, through this kid, all the nations will be blessed. Abraham had to take that to the bank. Abraham had everything else. He was a wealthy guy. 
He had a wife that he loved. He had friends. He had family. He had, like I said, a lot of resources. Abraham was like a Navy SEAL, too. He was like a, he was like a little fighter. Abraham had everything he needed, but he, he didn't have the one thing that he couldn't do anything about, which was to turn back the biological clock. Only God. Only God could do that. The true sons of Abraham are those that believe the exact same way, that believe and lay all their cards down and say, I don't have anything in me that can get me this kid. And God says, I'm going to do it. Have you ever been hopeless? Have you, have you ever been way past time? Have you ever been in something where you're like, this is, this is dead, this deal is dead, or this friendship is dead, or it's, it's ash. And God goes, I'm going to do something. Now it's time for you to believe. And so Abraham believed God. That's how Abraham was accounted or credited righteousness. There was no law. Even these guys have to admit that. No, you're right. Abraham is he's the father of, of Judaism. He's the, he's the father of the tribes. And there was no law. There was nothing for him to do except for simply believe. What did Abraham really actually do? He did nothing tangible. He believed. And so does God supply his spirit to you through your work or his work? That's what he's saying to these guys. Um, verse 8, he says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you... All the nations shall be blessed. All of them, including this one, including ours, including all the nations that may be a nation someday that are not even named yet. All in faith. All in this same way, believing. Now, language, culture, the, all the weird stuff that went on back then, the weird stuff that goes on today. I think if we all brought each other's cultures together, they'd look at ours and be like, what's wrong with yours? You guys, this, this, you guys, Americans, you guys are nuts. But we all can do one thing the exact same way. We can cast our care. We can say, we believe God. We can all say that in our tongue. We can all say that in our own language. And it's the same action. It's an internal thing where we go, I would walk the plank and believe that this is going to happen. And that's what Abraham did. And it was a big deal. I mean, there's... Several tests Abraham had that most people would probably have failed. But in you, Abraham, in you and in this seed, all the nations will be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Once again, those who are of faith. Right now, you guys are trying to justify yourselves because you're bringing something to the table. You got Jesus and something else. So in the scriptures, we're always looking, in the Old Testament, we're always looking forward to the cross. They would have had the scriptures. They would have had the Old Testament. Obviously, these synagogues that Paul would teach in would have had a reading schedule. And they would have been reading the Old Testament scrolls. But we're always looking forward to the cross. No matter what book we're in, we're looking forward. And the same way that Abraham had faith in God, we today are expected to believe in that exact same way, except for it's, we're looking backwards at Christ. We're looking, we're on the front end of it. He was on the beginning end. And so the scriptures all said that this covenant would have meaning to all nations, all people. It wasn't just Judaism. That probably would have rocked them a little bit if they would have actually thought that back in the day, in the days of David and Solomon. Like, well, Judaism, we call these people barbarians or we call these people um, sinners that are just non-Jewish. 
because in Judaism, the Savior came. And so it was first, it first went out to the Jews and then it went out to the Gentiles. But many people feel hopeless at some point in their life. Hopelessness, despair, even the greatest Christians that you know. Um, I was talking to a guy this last week um, and he said, he was talking to me about a guy that he used to tour with. And he said, uh, you know that you don't know this. A lot of people don't know this about him. He goes, but he struggled with, dep- with depression a lot. I would have never believed it. I would have never believed it watching, reading his book and reading and watching some of his stuff um, that, that's on YouTube. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, sometimes he'd be in his bed for two or three days straight going, God, what now? I'm like, are you serious? Like, I mean, it brings me a little bit of like, it, it kind of makes him a little bit more human. But God doesn't want us to ever look at a man. God doesn't want us to ever look at a teacher. God doesn't want us to ever look at some great missionary, some former pastor, some former scholar, some commentary guy, and be like, that's the guy. Another thing that that I think is interesting about that is Abraham's flaws are on full display for us, guys. So many Old Testament characters, their flaws are out there. I mean, do we know as much about Abraham and David. I mean, there's so much we know about these two guys. But some of the mistakes they made were pretty big mistakes. And then, you, and then you read Hebrews and you're like, how is Samson in this? How is the harlot in the line of Christ? Like, wouldn't you have sanitized Jesus' line a little bit more, God? Like, wouldn't you kind of like bring them to the one that are a little bit cleaner over there? No, because God knows that we're sinners. Like, he's not shocked by it. But sometimes I feel like when people start to, they look, at a, they look at a person, whoever that person is, and they go, oh, Billy Graham. Billy Graham was the greatest. Billy Graham was the greatest Christian ever. Or Paul, or one of the reasons I believe Paul said he's chief of sinners is so that we wouldn't say that. Even though I struggle with thinking that Paul was the chief of sinners. He's a sinner and that's enough. Because one sin, James also says, um, one sin is the same as a violation of all. That's, that's what the yield is. Your destiny is the same if you sin one time or a million without Christ. That's what James is telling us. So don't be puffed up because you've sinned less than people. But when you think of the Jewish race going back thousands of years, all of this started with a guy that was north of 70 years of age whose wife was past it all. All of this starts with that. Like we have these Jewish people, we have these arguments, we have Jewish people in this society because Abraham believed God. And he's just, he's just trying to get these people to understand, guys, where did it start? Well, it started, you know, a few years back, but we've been enlightened. People have come and taught us better things. And he's saying, how did it start with Abraham? Do you have any, do you have any reason to believe that Abraham was justified by works? No. Do you have any reason to believe that that Moses was a great guy and Moses was perfect? No, Moses didn't even get in to the promised land. He had to watch down the mountain and see the land that was going to be given to his people. So a couple of of questions I want to just ask and and sort of conclude, but I want to throw a couple things out there. How were you saved? How were we saved? Did we do anything to get it? Did we do anything to self-justify? Did we come up, you know, to an altar call or at camp or with our parents and be like, well, I'd like to put my accomplishments up on the table. 
I'd like to, you know, on the communion table, if you will, I'd like to let God know the few things that I've done for, for him without even being part of his family yet. Uh, last, last year, I gave a lot of money away, and I'm a philanthropist, and, you know, one of the biggest philanthropists in the last month lost $35 billion of stockholder money. Um, philanthropy is great, but there's usually some other stuff tied to it. Um, I don't know that it's ever really pure in our day. Well, we, we have done all these great works, and we have done work projects, and we have gone to missions trips, and we have built wells, and we have all idols. If you're thinking that's going to be dragged into to heaven with you, every bit of it. And so it's, it's interesting how really mature Christians maybe aren't mature Christians according to God. I always struggled with like when someone looks a certain way, when they're this powerful preacher like a, like a Billy Graham, because Billy Graham was like the biggest example in my life because of Whedon, where I grew up. Everybody, Franklin Graham and Whedon, one's better than the next. And there's another one, the grandchild, who's also an evangelist. Well, they're, look, they're working, they're working their gift, and that's awesome. But they wouldn't tell you that that work justifies them. I know that. I know that Will and Franklin wouldn't tell you, yeah, well, God's lucky to have us. I know they wouldn't, because I know what their dad would have said. And he said, even on Larry King, when Larry King said, what, what do you think God's going to say? He's like, he's probably going to say, you could have done so much more. And Larry King's like, wow. <laughs> I probably don't measure up to that God either. But how were you saved? When you go back to your, your conversion or your baptism, sometimes it's the same day, that is what you bring to the table. Nothing that day. Just pure faith. So when people believe a certain way, they start to go, well, we're not deceived. We're really the ones that are, like, I remember being a part of a church plant years back, and the pastor didn't say this, but he didn't really have to. I remember thinking, the way he talked, we are the only ones that get it. And I literally thought that in my late 20s. And I thought, man, that seems really scary. And then when we moved to town, I had a really hard time finding a pastor to listen to because I was like, well... Because of where I've been, I really need to make sure that whoever I'm, I'm going to sit under is going to be on par with what I have in my head. Which was, I mean, it's, it's, complete, it's complete garbage. I was talking to um, a, a pastor a couple weeks back about a ministry, and he said, have you ever heard of this ministry? And I said, no, I haven't. He goes, well, it launched out of the ministry you asked me about. And I said, okay, why is that? Because the guy just died. He was like 90-something years old, and I thought it was a very successful ministry. And he goes, well, there was some infighting, some of the folks on the board. And I go, oh, that's a shock. Christians on a board fought with other Christians on a board? No way. It's like the most normal thing on the planet, apparently. And he goes, yeah. He goes, here's the, here's the deal, Dan. He goes, I love... He goes, I love people, and I love discipling, and I want, that's all I do with my life. I teach at a church. I'm an interim pastor, but I just want to disciple people. He goes, but I don't promote anybody. There's not a person that I promote. Now, I don't, I don't knock them. I don't poo-poo them when people go, oh, I love this guy. I love that guy's book. Great. Praise the Lord if it blessed you. He goes, but those people that we were talking about, they launched this other ministry, and out of that ministry, why that ministry formed was because these people over here were so into their founder that they brought their founder into everything. 
They brought their founder into every conference. They brought him into counseling. They brought him into, the, oh, do you have this book? Do you have this book? They are great books. I've read them. But I guarantee you the founder who's gone now wouldn't want anybody mentioning his name up against Jesus. I can pretty much guarantee that reading his book. Deception can be anywhere. Christians that are well-meaning, Christians that start out great and are sailing along, Christians that are persecuted. I mean, we look at Christians that are persecuted, we go, wow, brothers and sisters, man, that is, thank you God that we can be in here and open up this Bible and not apologize for it. And it goes out on the internet and our page hasn't been shut down yet because I believe that's coming very soon. And, and then maybe more. And then maybe we lose our tax exempt. And then maybe we get uh, have a hefty tax bill thrown on here because we're not preaching inclusiveness or tolerance or whatever. But there's Christians, there's brothers and sisters in the East that are, that are being maybe arrested as we speak because they went to church this morning, Sunday morning in China. Most well-meaning Christians can, can be deceived or can get onto something. All people can. So it's, we have to have that heart that says, God, like, it's like what Paul said, God, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I want you to stop persecuting me. I'm persecuting the wrong God? Yeah. Uh, my, me, uh, this is my church. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to go wait for this guy. Go to this house. You'll be blind until then. Okay, you got it, Lord. Having that heart, having that heart that's approachable, having that heart that has time for people, when someone shares a concern, hey, you said something the other day, kind of, kind of rubbed me the wrong way, kind of hurt me a little bit. Not being like, that's your problem. Wow, it's a little rough. I, 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 when you preach a message like this, you have to be careful, and you look at, okay, Lord, how? I think the answer is what Paul said: pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Does that mean reciting the Lord's Prayer 24-7 so you can't possibly have a word that comes out of your mouth that's unholy? No, it's not possible to do that. But for me to stay in prayer, I don't have to pray these crazy prayers. I don't have to pray these long religious prayers. I don't, I mean, Jesus said, don't be repetition people. Don't be, um, don't pray so loud at the restaurant where the whole restaurant goes, oh, I guess they're Christians. Just be real, man. Jesus didn't do weird stuff. He wasn't doing weird. Nobody ever accused him of being weird. They were, they were offended because of truth, but people today are offended because of truth. People always are offended when they don't want to embrace truth, but truth comes and hits them in the face. They don't like it. But they don't like it now because of our Lord. They don't like it because of, they're not, not liking you. They don't like what Jesus is. Jesus is accountability. They want to live this life without any. So you're, you're offensive because you're bringing somebody like closer to them that they're like, get that away. Voodoo. That's what they call Jesus. Even the religious called him a demon. It's ridiculous. How can you think that a man that has that type of a demeanor that, that loves and serves, how could you possibly be offended by him because you don't want to submit? And God's going to let you make that choice. He's going to let you go there. So lastly... First, we talked about how, how are you saved. Secondly, some people are so afraid to be free that they're going to walk around as Christians in bondage. They're going to drag. They're just, they just don't, they're, being free is scary to them. Sometimes I feel like the, the uh, Israelites in Egypt were afraid to leave because, because it wasn't so bad until Moses got here and started shooting his mouth off. Then we had to work double time. 
We had three squares. Yeah, sure, we were in bondage and we were slaves. Couldn't go anywhere, couldn't go on a vacation, couldn't do an Airbnb on the Nile, but it wasn't so bad. That's where a lot of people find themselves nowadays. I wanna, I wanna wrap it up with um, this quote. I forget the, the, the guy's name. Uh, he says, so, so to us and to them and to, to whoever would hear this, how will you be sanctified? Christian, how will you be processed into more like Christ? How will you be sanctified? Presupposing the answer that the Galatians became Christians by faith, Paul asked if they were so foolish as to think they could begin the Christian life in one way, by faith, and move on to spiritual maturity by works. This was what the Judaizers had promoted. But the means of justification and sanctification were and are the same. They're the same exact means. There was no provision under the law for the Holy Spirit to do a work of sanctification. The law had, Holy Spirit wasn't in these Israelites. God's, God's Holy Spirit was inside the temple. They couldn't even approach because of their sin. There was no provision for that. The Galatian believers probably thought that keeping the old law would aid them in their spiritual lives, but it would not. It wouldn't for them and it wouldn't for us. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we go through this book, help us to see the little lies, the little deceptions, the little things we maybe have have, uh, held on to. God, that we would be free, that we would be free just to have a relationship with you. And God, that that relationship with faith, trusting that you will bring us to growth, is enough. That we, yielding to you and letting you be the one that brings us along, not us, when we're frustrated that we're stunted, we're frustrated that we're in a rut. And so we start manufacturing something. We start believing that that, whatever that thing was helped us, when it's your spirit is the only help we have. It's the only hope we have. We love you, Lord. And uh, for those that are really struggling, for those that are hurt, that are maybe deceived, maybe far away, Lord, I pray that they would simply come back to you the way that they did at the beginning and say, what, Lord, now? In Jesus' name, amen.